be Sam reading and she's very poorly so she said could I step in and I said yeah no no worries and it was only later that I checked what the passage was so yeah so it's Matthew chapter 1 it's page 965 of the church bible okay this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Esau, Esau the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to see you. Well, well read, uh, Jilly. Uh, we've been going through Corinthians, and uh, that's a book in and of itself. Uh, so I thought we'd have a nice uh, break to return to the Gospels for Advent. Uh, I'm not sure what I was thinking when I said, let's just have the genealogies. Uh, I was, actually. So we'll get on to that. But uh, let, me, let me pray as we look through this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the Messiah. We pray that uh, if we uh, don't know him or are unconvinced or, or don't understand who he was, that uh, your word today by your spirit uh, would reveal him to us. And for those of us if, that do know you, we pray that we would exalt him all the more. We'd uh, enjoy his love all the more from this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, well, it's tradition on uh, my mum's side of the family to give the eldest son the middle name of Everest. Uh, there's a picture on the screen behind. Uh, because one of my ancestors was Sir George Everest, uh, the general surveyor of India uh, in the early 1800s. And it was his calculations, I mean, maybe not literally his, uh, that uh, they later discovered Everest, or, or what was known as Peak 15 at the time, to be the tallest mountain in the world. Uh, now, apparently, uh, not to say that he was as modest as I am, uh, he didn't want it called Everest after him. He preferred a local name, uh, but they named it after him anyway in his honour uh, just before he died uh, in 1856. Uh, and today, obviously, a name, if you had the name Everest, it would be a, a name of prestige and honour, wouldn't it? Or, or people would just be worried you're trying to sell them double glazing or something like that. Um, <laughs> Ancestry is kind of interesting, and it might kind of give you the odd claim to fame, but uh, for the ad average Joe in Britain, it's, it's not that significant or interesting uh, to us. It might be interesting, but it's not that significant to us uh, these days. But the ancestry of a king or a queen, well, that is very significant, even today in our age. It carries with it a whole level of different importance, doesn't it, that, that sort of ancestry. It determines who is right to sit on the throne, uh, what sort of kingdom they stand for. It shows their history and what we might expect them to be like, or who they might accept or reject within their kingdom, uh, and so on and so forth. So as Matthew begins this uh, chapter, uh, this book about Jesus, his friend, who he's followed around for many years, he begins this historical account uh, this biography of the life of Jesus by starting with a genealogy that demonstrates evidence for who Jesus is, the Messiah, the promised King of Israel. But as was common amongst uh, biographers of that time, the genealogy here tells us more than just his literal genealogy. Uh, so have a look at uh, verse 1. Again, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the one then, the long-awaited uh, king in the line of David, King David of old. He is a son of even Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, the most Jewish of the Jews, the father of all Israel, from whom the 12 tribes of Israel eventually descended. And then Matthew gives us a list of 14 names uh, in three, sorry, more than 14, three blocks of 14 names. Uh, as he points out at the end, verse 17, so let me give you the last verse at the beginning as well. Verse 17, he says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Uh, now this isn't a full and exhaustive uh, genealogy, as we might think of one. Uh, there is a fuller genealogy in Luke chapter 3, for example, in some of the Old Testament records. But the word that Matthew uses here, and it was used uh, often in biographical writings of the time, that we translate genealogy, uh, simply just means origin. This is the origin story of Jesus, if you like. Uh, they were used uh, in all sorts of biographies of the time to show you what sort of person this is. Not just literal genealogical history, but help us make sense of who they are and their behaviours and what they were to be and why they're here. In a sense, 
uh, this genealogy gives credibility to the life of Jesus. What he was going to say and teach, who he was going to be, what he stood for. It communicates his purpose and his mission, his character, as well as just some of his family tree. Uh, For example, the the fact that Matthew's put it in three blocks of 14 probably meant something to the early Jews who he was writing to. We're we're less sure today quite what he was trying to say. Uh, But there's still plenty we can learn from this. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it, to see uh, a kind of a modern resurgence in our interest in ancestry or or even DNA testing to find, you know, what, what are we kind of made up of originally? Uh, people looking for, if you like, a sense of meaning. What am, what am I? What am I about? Why do I exist? Where have I come from? Who am I meant to be? And so it is with Jesus here in Matthew. Uh, he wants us to see the true power, the truth behind Jesus. What is his origin story? What does it teach us? What does it tell us? What sort of kingdom has Jesus come to reign over as king? What sort of Messiah might he be? Who is welcome and not welcome in his kingdom? What does his history show us? It's a good place to begin, isn't it? As we begin looking forward to to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, uh, come to earth again this year. What is his origin story? So let's have a look. Let's go to verse 1 again, uh, which gives us a great uh, intro to the whole genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, As I've already said, Matthew wrote this book to a Jewish audience. And so there is to be no mistake that he needs the Jews to know that Jesus is the one they have been waiting for. He is the promised Messiah. He is the king that they've anticipated to come in the royal line of King David of ancient Israel. For centuries they have anticipated this Messiah, this anointed one, to come. It's been so long that many had given up hope. But the Psalms in the Old Testament are full of this anticipation of a Messiah to come. So uh, speaking, a prophecy made to King David uh, is recorded in 2 Samuel, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 2 Samuel 7, 16, uh, this is prophesied to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. That sense that When you die, your line, a king in your line, will continue forever. Your throne will be established forever. Or Psalm 89, verse 29. There's there's loads of this in the Psalms, but just an example. Uh, We're told, I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. They're expecting someone to come in the line of David, a Messiah, a king, someone who will change everything for their good. Uh, interestingly, there's, there's absolutely no debate that we can find in the first century where people disputed that Jesus was in the line of David. Plenty of people didn't like Jesus, but nobody disputed that he was in the royal line of David. Uh, both Jewish and secular historians of the time agree he was in that family line. It explains actually why when we get genealogies like this, they don't have to actually have every detail and every name uh, in order because records were kept and well understood. They were available. Uh, even, uh, there's even differences between Luke's uh, genealogy and Matthew's. Not just that there's more in Luke's, but there's some different names and different paths taken. 
uh, but so good were the records uh, that even branches of ancestry could be traced and interwoven uh, and interlaced ancestries could be seen. Uh, They all reached the same conclusion. Uh, Perhaps the differences even uh, are far from suspicious. They actually confirm the amount of detail that was available uh, and was uncontested at the time, that slightly different branches or roots taken could show that Jesus was connected to the line of David. Uh, One uh, in Luke more likely shows the the sort of bloodline, the the fatherly line of uh, Jesus from David, actually works from Jesus back to David. But Matthew here is more interested in the royal line. Where where would the throne have gone to? Who would it have stepped down to each time? Uh, And it looks like that's the more likely route he took. Either way, you end up with Jesus. Jesus born in the royal line of King David. That's quite significant if you're a Jew with all those promises made hundreds of years before. Could he be the king? Uh, Abraham is important too. We're told he's a son of Abraham. I mean, if he's a son of David, he can't not be a son of Abraham. All of Israel descended through Abraham's family. But Abraham is the patriarch, the, the original, if you like. It's through Abraham that God promised to ultimately bless all the peoples of the world. That's quite a statement. So Genesis 12, right back to the beginning of the history of the Bible. uh, uh, We read this, Genesis 12, 1 and 3. The Lord had said to Abram, that's before he changed his name to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. He's setting them apart and he says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth. That's, uh, that's pretty inclusive. All people on earth, even us today, will be blessed through you. Uh, with a promise like that, from God to the Israelites in history, and a king who, whose line we're promised will carry on eternally, forever, as long as the heavens endure. It doesn't take a genius to anticipate the Messiah, an anointed king in the line of David, come to restore the promises of blessing from God given to Abraham through the line of King David. Could Jesus be the one to bless the world, to rule God's kingdom Quite an introduction, isn't it, when we think about it, to the origin story of Jesus. Is he the one? And as uh, the Jews, and perhaps us, depending on how well we know our Bibles or not, doesn't matter if we we do or don't uh, in this scenario, we're going to run through it. But just imagine the Jews as they, they read through some of the names on that genealogy, and the stories come back and their memories and their hearts are stirred as they recount some of the events and the names and the things that were happening in their history. Verse 2, Abraham is mentioned again in the beginning. Uh, The man of great faith, he was obedient and faithful, left everything, followed God. Do you remember Jacob, also in verse 2, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah and his brothers are mentioned, the 12 tribes born to Jacob. You remember Joseph, one of them. How could you forget with the musical uh, up in London occasionally? Uh, The the brother who was... uh, 
became second only to Pharaoh in Egypt, the most powerful nation at the time, so that he could uh, spare Egypt and the surrounding nations and even God's people from famine and starvation in those times. Or what about verse 5? We remember Boaz, that great kinsman, that the noble and honest man who took care of Ruth and Naomi when they were both widowed, uh, leaving extra grain in the field for, them to get, for Ruth to gather, ultimately uh, taking Ruth as his wife, giving her and her family hope. Uh, David, of course, verse 6, uh, endless accounts in the Old Testament of his bravery uh, in battle against the enemies of God, triumphing every time, as well as his faithfulness to God. Who can forget his defeat against Goliath, the giant, the Philistine? Or the time he spared his predecessor, King Saul's life in the cave. Despite Saul wanting to kill David, David spared his life. He, he did what was right before God. And his endless military campaigns for God's people, which he led and won. How, uh, how the nation of Israel prospered under his reign. Yeah, that's the king we remember. And that's before we begin to speak of Solomon in verse 6, who was dressed in finer linen than Gok One could produce today. Some of his, some, some of you are like, how does Sam know that? <laughs> he was wiser than any person who had lived before. His justice and his rule was celebrated across the world. People used to come and see him, to, to sit at his feet and learn from him. He was so wise. Foreign leaders would come. Of course, he built that great temple for God. Uh, Solomon all the way uh, down to Jacoah. Uh, I, I can't say it. How you practice well. Uh, Jaco, Jaconiah, thank you. Uh, in verse 11, we see pages from the book of Chronicles and the kings uh, coming back to our memories. And of course, the exile in Babylon. Uh, we see at the end of what was the end of the kingly reign of Israel, verse 11, the crown had gone. But the royal line had not. Has the king returned? Is this the one? Uh, eventually, moving into verses 13 to f- uh, 15, the, the exile of Babylon finishes. It was over and many returned to Jerusalem and Israel. And the names in verses 13 to 15 we actually know very little about now. Their stories have been lost, but undoubtedly they'd have had more meaning to those 2,000 years ago as Matthew wrote uh, this letter to them. But perhaps to some extent, that's the point. The, the first 14 names, verses 2 to 6, show us the magnificent setup and establishment of God's people and the nation of Abraham, culminating in the greatest days they enjoyed uh, under the rule of King David. But then Solomon onwards, things begin to uh, fall away a bit. Fallen wickedness of mankind Uh, Israel splits into two kingdoms, the north and the south, Judah and Israel. Uh, Kings at those times were sometimes good and sometimes bad, to the point they were exiled to Babylon. Hope is gone, the king is gone. But has the king returned, we're men to ask in anticipation. Perhaps that's why there's uh, 14 names in each block, as if to say, it's time We've had those 14, and then those 14, we're expecting something now. Verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, 
And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. No question then. Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. He is in the royal line of King David, uncontested at his time. He represents the great kings of old, most especially David. He is the answer to centuries without a king. He is the one in the line of Abraham, a son of Abraham. God's promises of blessings to the world will be fulfilled in this man, Jesus. It's quite a family line. Quite a lineage to live up to if you're Jesus. Quite a list of prophecies and promises to fulfill. Quite a kingdom of people to restore, to share that same heritage. It's a record of origin that makes him a king beyond comparison. He's high and lifted up. He's mighty and strong. He is truly the Messiah come to bless God's people and save them. Nothing will stop him. Look at his lineage. Nothing's going to stop King Jesus, the Messiah. You can imagine the pride of the Jews, can't you? As they they read of all these names and they think of Jesus, the Messiah, coming. Is this him? The king is here. The Jews worthy of this heritage. They're the right race of the right righteousness. About to be freed from the oppression of Rome that they're under at the time. The, The king is back. I think we probably think like that as well sometimes, don't we? Jesus has come for the nice people, the ones who are right, the ones who are in the right line of the right race, of the right genealogy, good people, you know, the the people with the right heritage, middle class, good with money. uh, We've never really been off the rails, a perfect Christmas tree, of course. Uh, Presents galore, good jobs, badly behaved kids comes as standard. A nice house. People who behave well. This is, this is who Jesus has come for. Look at his lineage, who are free from guilt. We're not too sinful. We don't struggle, at least publicly, we don't struggle with temptations or lust or addictions or gossip. We don't have any skeletons in the cupboards. We don't have a conscience that makes us feel unworthy before God. Because look at our king, look at, look at his lineage. Even if we don't think like this, I wonder often if our world thinks like this as they look in at the church. I wonder if our friends or our families who don't believe in Jesus simply think that God just wouldn't want anything to do with them. Look at his earthly origins, let alone look at the fact he came from the glory of heaven above to earth. Even if you convince me that Jesus really is the Messiah of the Old Testament, even if the historical evidence holds up, which it does, Jesus, this great king of the universe, who's come to bless his people, wouldn't want me. I'm not a Jew. I'm not good enough on the inside, if I'm honest. Even if outwardly I kind of look the part. Jesus is here for the proud and the pious. That's what the Jews thought, wasn't it? You look at the accounts of the Pharisees through the New Testament. thought Jesus is here for the good people. The healthy, the well. Don't need to read much about the Pharisees to know that that's what they were thinking. But take another look at this origin story, says Matthew. You think Jesus perhaps isn't interested in the sinners or the, the weak or the... The lost, people like you and me or our families or our our neighbours or our 
children or our parents. Verse 2, Jacob was a deceiver who stole the birthright of his brother by dressing like his brother and deceiving his dying father. Verse 3, Judah's twin boys listed here were born to him having slept with Tamar, who, was thought to, who he thought was a prostitute, not a good start, but was actually his daughter-in-law. It got a lot worse there, didn't it? Who pretended to be a prostitute to sleep with him. Verse 5, uh, Ruth, the mother of Obed. Uh, Ruth uh, was a gracious woman, but in her case, she's not even an Israelite. She's a Moabite woman, a foreigner of the wrong race and blood, surely. Why is she in this list? It's also very unusual to include women in these origin accounts. They're they're here to show us something. And then Rahab is is mentioned. She actually was a prostitute uh, of the time and a foreigner. Uh, The next woman we meet uh, who isn't even mentioned by name, but her situation is pointed out very clearly. Uh, Verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Well, hang on. David had abused his position of power to sleep with a married woman, the wife of Uriah, committing adultery. She became pregnant, and then he had her husband killed. Their child, Solomon, is on the throne in the line of David. Why would Matthew make that explicit in this origin story? He could have left that detail out, couldn't he? Solomon, the son of David, next. Or Rehoboam, verse 7, was a wicked king, according to Chronicles, and so was his son, Abijah. Why bring such attention to the exile to Babylon? This whole 14 and 3 structure highlights the exile, doesn't it? The greatest disgrace in Israelite history in the Old Testament where God's people uh, constantly reject and sin and rebel against their God, the Almighty One. And so God eventually relents and says, well, I'll, I'll allow the Babylonians to come in to invade, to take over. They didn't even learn the first time, so God sent them, allowed them to go again and destroy Jerusalem completely the second time, and the nation was exiled off to Babylon, removed from the promised land, removed from the promises made to Abraham, exiled, and, and so on. Until verse 16. And then another woman is mentioned Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Carefully worded. You you see the difference in wording here. It's carefully worded to be different to how he's mentioned previous women. Uh, Joseph is not described as the father of Jesus, but rather the wife of. uh, Sorry, Mary, the wife. Joseph, Mary's the wife of Joseph, the mother of Jesus. Uh, We find out in the next verses, don't we, uh, that Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, the work of God. Uh, A woman elevated above any cultural oppression of that time to be seen as the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. 
you see, Jesus' origin story, yes, is one of the right line and lineage, of one of greatness and power and promise and expectation. But it's also one of adulterers and prostitutes and deceivers and murderers. It's one of foreigners. It's full of the lowly and the weak. It's full of people that had no place in a royal line. It's full of sinful and rebellious people and kings and normal people and and important people. You know what? The story of Jesus does not suggest that he has come for the elite at all. He's not come for the proud or the pious. He's come for you and he's come for me. Uh, Good or evil, God's grace runs through the origin story of Jesus. The Messiah has come and all are welcome. Whatever your background, whatever your mental state, whatever your guilt, whatever your race, whatever your social status, as the rest of Matthew's book points out, Jesus is the Messiah for all. If not particularly for the lowly, for the weak, for the lost, for the sinful. Jesus brings the blessings promised to Abraham to the world. (coughs) Christmas is a time uh, we don't remember we need to be right for Jesus, but that Jesus was right for us. So in the origin story of Jesus, we see both that he is the one true king, who rules our world forever until the heavens disappear. He is the one Messiah also that has come for you and he's come for me. However weak we are and wherever we are from. Matthew picks up these themes all the way through. Uh, let me just read a couple of examples to you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight and th- to 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what the origin story of Jesus reminds us. It's come for the weak, the weary and the burdened. Well, Matthew 28, the, the culmination of his, this book, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All nations, the whole world. The blessings of Abraham fulfilled in the Lord Jesus as he died on the cross to take the sin that we uh, commit before God. To take away our weariness and our burdens and our rebellion. To take away the exile of Babylon. To restore God's people. All who call on the name of Jesus, who come to him in repentance and humility. That's the origin story of Jesus. Hear his story and come to him, Matthew says, whoever you are, wherever you're from. Let me pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his origin story, born into the line that you planned before the beginning of time, the fulfillment of all the promises you made to Abraham to bless the world. The fulfillment of all the promises you made through the line of King David to rule the world. But all the time demonstrated through normal people, people who are weak or trodden down, people who have done much wrong, even murdered, even committed adultery, looked down on others, had skeletons in their closet, ongoing feelings of guilt and doubt. You sent Jesus through their line to show us that he is a Messiah, a king for us. May we come before you today in humility and repentance. Forgive us for the things we have done wrong. Restore us, make us right in the Messiah Jesus. For we know he can do it. For we know his story. And may we respond by living for you in his mercy and his grace. Give us his yoke, which is light. Take away ours of sin, so that we may glorify you alone this Christmas. Amen.